Welcome to the Keep It Clean podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dane Gregory. The Keep It Clean podcast was developed around an idea of helping to inspire and motivate fellow cleaning professionals by listening to startup stories and histories of others in the business. Twice each month, we'll interview industry icons and colleagues and get their story of how they got started in this oftentimes wonderful and sometimes painful business of cleaning things for other people. Hopefully, you will like, subscribe, and follow us so you never miss an episode. And throw us a review on an episode if you wouldn't mind. We would really appreciate that. As always, thanks for listening. Today's guest on the Keep It Clean podcast is going to be Jeff Bishop. Since 1971, Jeff Bishop has provided management for three diversified cleaning and restoration businesses serving Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Bishop is a 1967 graduate of the University of Georgia with a BBA management degree and a commission as a second lieutenant. Jeff attended the Army Ranger course, served as an armored platoon leader and tank gunnery officer in Germany. Following rotary flight training, he was decorated as an assault helicopter platoon leader with the 101st Airborne Division in Vietnam. Jeff is a second-generation cleaner-restorer, a master textile cleaner, master water restorer, master fire and smoke restorer, and a certified carpet, vinyl, and wood laminate inspector, and a certified mold remediation supervisor. For some 45 years, he has taught courses in 10 categories, including residential carpet cleaning, commercial carpet cleaning, upholstery cleaning, area rug cleaning, water damage restoration, deodorization and decontamination, fire restoration, carpet inspection, cleaning management and marketing and sales, disaster management marketing and sales, and indoor environmental quality. He has developed several of the courses and examinations in these subjects for the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, also known as the IICRC, while writing or editing six industry standards. Jeff's teaching career began in 1973, and since then he has produced 12 books and seven online training courses covering cleaning and restoration subjects. Jeff serves as a consultant to fiber producers, carpet mills, insurance training schools, and a variety of city, state, and federal disaster relief agencies. He is a director of the Society of Cleaning and Restoration Technicians. He has served the IICRC as vice president, chairman of the Examinations and Standards Committee, chairman of the IICRC Certification Council, chair of the Senior Inspection Committee, and as an IICRC technical advisor for over six years. In this capacity, Bishop oversaw the development of technical information in 18 certification categories and six industry standards while representing the IICRC on industry technical issues. In addition to many industry awards, Jeff was honored in 1989 by industry peers when he was inducted as a charter member into the Cleaning and Restoration Hall of Fame. In 1991, he was selected as the Clean Facts Magazine Person of the Year based on his writing of the IICRC S100 and S300 carpet cleaning and upholstery cleaning standards. He served as an editor for the IICRC S500 and S520 standard and reference guide for water damage restoration and mold remediation. Bishop was featured on NBC's Dateline expose of deceptive advertising in the cleaning service industry in the year 2000, having done similar interviews for the Fox affiliate in Atlanta, Georgia, and KCBS in Los Angeles. In 2002, he was inducted into the Cleaning Management Institute's Hall of Fame. Having retired from active teaching in 2014, Bishop continued to serve the industry as director and technical advisor to the Society of Cleaning and Restoration Technicians and as second vice chair of the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certifications until 2018. 
As an expert witness, Bishop has provided depositions and testimony and cleaning and restoration litigation involving over $800 million in property damage. He has participated in several government and industry-sponsored studies on carpet performance and indoor environmental quality issues. In October of 2020, Jeff was honored to become the first inductee into the IICRC Hall of Fame. A former triathlete, Jeff still enjoys sailing, jogging, road biking, ballroom dancing, RVing, and cruising around in his Corvette Stingray with his wife and business partner, Cindy. Jeff and Cindy are the parents of four children and have 14 grandchildren. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Keep It Clean podcast. I'm your host, Dane Gregory. Today, we have Mr. Jeff Bishop with us. And Jeff, welcome to the Keep It Clean podcast. Thanks for being here. And I will start with the question we ask all of our uh, attendees is, Jeff, tell the audience why you decided and chose the professional cleaning industry for your career. Well, I didn't choose it. It sort of chose me genetically and otherwise. I was born into a family of cleaners. I have an uncle who started a dry cleaning business in Dothan, Alabama back in 1946. He had the opportunity to buy out Albany Laundry Company in Albany, Georgia, the southwest corner of Albany, Georgia. And so he made that purchase and brought my dad into uh, be a part owner and a manager of that service. So that's how we got into it. Literally, when I was eight years old in 1952, I was washing laundry trucks. I was sweeping floors in a laundry plant, doing anything that was necessary and that I could handle. By the time I got to be about 10 or 12, I could see over the counter and I started waiting on customers and figuring out ways to deliver clothing once we had cleaned it. Of course, all during my spring break, my summer vacation, I was the vacation relief person. I got to have a different job every week. One week I might be cleaning rugs. The next week I might be running a shirt press. The next week I might be running a dry cleaning machine. Whoever was off, I got their job for a week to two weeks, depending on the length of their vacation. So I had really a, quite a, a great experience and background doing a little bit of everything in the dry cleaning and laundry business. We had a rug cleaning operation, but it was in the upstairs portion of our main plant. We just tacked rugs down. Back in, back in those days, nobody had wall-to-wall carpet. They strictly had what I would call today area rugs, but they were wall-to-wall area rugs. And every Mm. spring, we would go into their homes, we would move all the furniture, we would roll up the rugs and the pads underneath them, then we would bring that carpet to our plant, we would clean it, store it, and then in fall of the year, of course, during the summer months, it was a cooler floor to walk on when it was bare, Mm. but in the winter months, we would bring their carpet back to them. We would move all the furniture again. We would roll out the pad, roll out the carpet, put everything back in place. And we did all of that for eight cents a square foot. Oh, my. Just eight cents. (laughs) It was pretty incredible. And, of course, it was very labor intensive. When I got into the business full time in 1970, my dad had probably six different people working with him on 
crews. There were three men to a crew. And I brought up the concept of having just a two-man operation and totally changed the business. But that mm-hmm. came a little bit later on. As I say, I grew up in the business. My dad didn't go to college. So he said, son, you're going to the college. And I didn't, I didn't know that I, could, I should rebel at that. So I just said, yes, sir. And I went off to North Georgia College, a military school for two years, where they straightened out my act considerably. They taught me respect for authority. They taught me how to speak well of other people and interact with other people, especially my superior officers. After two years of that, I transferred to the University of Georgia and pursued a course in management, got a BBA in management, but I continued with the ROTC there. Came out of Georgia with a commission as a second lieutenant and went directly into the military in 1967. That's when I was commissioned. Went through armor officer bait. Well, I, I went to summer camp in the summer of 67 and came out pretty well. Number one out of 3,200 cadets. So they insisted that I take a, a um, combat branch and I chose armor. After walking the hills of North Carolina at Fort Bragg, I decided I didn't want to walk anymore. And riding on a tank was a lot preferable to that. So Mm -hmm. I went through armor officer basic. My first child was about to be born in 68. So I uh, went down and requested some temporary duty. I was on orders for Germany. Couldn't bring my child with me until she was old enough to travel. So I went down and requested some temporary duty. They said, what do you want to do, Lieutenant? And I said, well, I can see myself jumping out of airplanes bird's eye view of everything floating through the clouds. And they said, sorry, that three-week course is filled up, but we have a nine-week course we can get you into, no problem. So I said, great, sign me up. What is it? And they said, it's ranger school. That was the mm. first big mistake of my military career. <laughs> they try to kill you in ranger school. <laughs> anyway, I survived that with 48% of my class. We started with 206, graduated only 98. And wow. Went to went to work for a little while harassing officer candidates at uh, Fort Benning, and then I finally went to Germany, where I commanded a platoon, then became an intelligence officer, and then became the officer in charge of a division tank gunnery program. My responsibility was to teach and direct people through their gunnery qualification on the firing range at Grafenwehr, Germany. I slept on that range. Did all the after-action reports for the one-star general I worked with and found out that I had a little talent for writing, which, of course, helped me later on in my career. He, in, in response to my writing his after-action reports, he gave me any temporary duty I wanted because I was on orders for, to Vietnam. So I chose flight school and learned to fly helicopters, went to Vietnam, assault helicopter platoon leader, then the battalion uh operations officer, eventually became an instructor pilot, where I learned the military style of instruction. And that really is one of the pivotal points that led me into the career that I chose in in cleaning and restoration. Well, got out of Vietnam, things were winding down, the politicians had made such a terrible mess of that war that nobody recognized it anymore. Our only mission was to save American lives at that point. So I came back to the States, looked around, and we had 100% employment. Well, probably about 2%, which is full employment here in the nation. 
So I took the course of least resistance, decided I'd take a job in the cleaning business with my father. So I went to work with him. First thing I did was fire about six of his eight employees. And uh, we were left with a secretary and one great man who had been at it forever. He couldn't tell you why he did things, but everything he did was perfect, primarily upholstery cleaning. So I never had to worry about upholstery cleaning until I went out on my own. This guy just taught me all kinds of things and became a great friend of me and my family, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. uh, so he shepherded me through and and I, I remember when I got rid of all the malcontents that my dad had on the staff one morning, they all waited on the sidewalk for my dad to show up. And I turned to my buddy, Ed Stubbs, and said, what about you? Are you going to hang around? He said, yeah, I'm going to hang around, see what's going to happen when your dad get, comes in. <laughs> and all these guys catch him on the street outside. So we did. And that was the first of my and my dad said, what are we going to do to get the work done? I said, well, I made the decision. I guess it's my responsibility to follow through. So that was the first of my 22-hour days that week. Mm -hmm. I worked my tail off. I'd start off in the morning cleaning area rugs, hanging them in the dry room to dry. I'd jump on the truck, go out and do pickup and deliveries. In the afternoons, I would clean wall-to-wall -wall carpet. And then I'd start cleaning rugs again late until the evening. It was a ridiculous situation. Finally found one guy I hired who was as crazy as I was, and he and I built a business. As a matter of fact, in the third quarter, my dad's profit was so high that he took me aside. And he said, you're going to ruin this business, Jeff. And I said, how do you figure that? He says, well, you're going through jobs so much faster than we've ever done them before. And I said, yeah, but we send out thank you and critique cards. We ask customers for their input, and they're all just delighted with the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that I, I hired a staff, started training meetings, again, training, once again, clean care seminars, that's where that came from. We're doing all these training meetings, and every week with my staff, taught them how to be responsible for individual trucks, and we built the business that way. Diversified into fire restoration, into building services, mm -hmm. janitorial services, several things in the first three years of my starting with my dad. Eventually, I could see the pressure I was putting on my dad. He was trying to save money for retirement. I was trying to spend all his money and build a dynasty of cleaning firms. And it wasn't working out real well for him. So I left him with a good staff, went 100 miles away, me, a truck, and a machine. And mm. in 1974, I began Bishop Clean Care in Dothan, Alabama, 100 miles away. Mm. It was three years later that I went back and bought out my father so that he could retire. My sister and I made that purchase and I got into multiple outlets. One thing I would really recommend to anybody who's listening to this and has the desire to build a multiple city company is to think real hard about that. You may be better off concentrating on the business in the town that you know and already have developed in because running back and forth really can be a pain. I was probably putting in, oh, I, I guess maybe 
anywhere from 600 to 1,000 miles a week, just going back and forth to, from Dothan to Albany, Georgia. In the meantime, I had a cousin, Steve Bishop, who developed a, a cleaning service business in, in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, in conjunction with his dad's dry cleaning business. So we had three locations running, and it really is a burden on the pe- person who's trying to keep all those balls in the air mm-hmm. while you're jug- juggling all the stuff. Sure. Well, fortunately, things did work out well. I insist on having training programs every week for my company. One, people ask me all the time, how did you become successful? And, and one of the things I always bring up, besides just getting educated, working hard and smart, and not making a lot of stupid decisions. I didn't buy my first Corvette until I was 72 years old, I think it was, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Anyway, what what are the keys that made you successful? Well, there are a lot of keys there. Having a good set of policies and procedures, job descriptions. Even when I was a one-man operation, I had an organizational chart on a cork board in front of my desk. And all the slots on that organizational chart, I put in the word me because I was doing everything. I didn't Mm -hmm. have any employees. But it served as a goal. It served as a, an outline and, and a, a goal of where I wanted to go with this. So that organizational chart helped a lot. The policy procedures, job descriptions, all of those basic things that I learned about in college and never dreamed I'd be using several years later in the field. Right. Uh, well, let me just let me just hold you there for a second, because I want to I want to comment on a couple of things you said. Uh, you mentioned that you really started to change your thinking when you got involved in the military. And by the way, thank you again for your service. I know I told you that before, but you were an absolute hero during that war, and I appreciate that. But Thanks, I, I, anyway, the idea Thanks. is the so you got that feeling that you got your life in the in the right framework at that point. And what you learned from the training operation there, Tom Hill mentioned that too when he was in the military that he was able to get people who didn't want to be there to do things that they had to do. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you come back and you get into your dad's business and then you decide to make the changes that you saw were necessary to make that happen. Yep. And so you came in and then you realized that we're going to move this down the road and I'm going to start again. So building that for your father's company, and then you went down the road to build your own company from there, Bishop's Queen Care, along with your sister and your, you say your cousin. cousin. I've, I've met Steve. I, I remember Steve coming to some of the ISRC meetings that we went to. So the three of you kind of had the little corner of Georgia and Alabama covered up at that point. It did, especially since we were the first to get into hot water extraction and introduce some innovative things there. But one thing I was going to say is that every Wednesday morning at 730, we had a company training meeting. It had a little bit of motivation, a little bit of sales, a little bit of technical information put out that that one-hour session. Nobody scheduled a job before 8.30 on Wednesday morning, and they knew they had to be there or they had to bring a notice from their funeral director. (laughs) Serious. That's good because not a lot of people think about the ongoing training that has to happen along the way. So you mentioned some sales training. Just uh, for example, we're going to do a little sales uh, pitch here. We're going to stop here for a second, take a break so we can hear from one of our sponsors. Good deal. We'll be back on the Keep It Clean podcast in just a moment. 
Carpet Cleaner America's counter-rotating brush technology began in Austria in 1979 and continues today to be a force in the industry all across the world. Our CRV machines are sold in over 58 countries and several territories. These machines are legendary, dependable, and built to last a lifetime and perhaps longer. With all that history comes a bit of wisdom. Our machines are dependable enough to help you get more from your carpet cleaning process. Use our Pro or TM series machines to accomplish any number of tasks in your clients' homes or businesses. From carpet to tile to vinyl floors and yes, even hardwood, with our dry compound cleaning media, Carpet Cleaner America machines work on them all. From pile lifting to deep vacuuming, from agitating your pre-spray before extraction cleaning to low moisture encapsulation. From carpet to tile, we brush it all and we pick it up too. Ask your local distributor for an Austrian machine made to last a lifetime or find us at carpetcleaner-usa.com. And we're back with the Keeper Clean podcast. Our guest today is Jeff Bishop. Jeff has been explaining how he got started as uh, his own company, Bishop Clean Care, down in 1974 in Dothan, Alabama. And he was just going to talk about the uh, meetings and the meetings that you had every Wednesday that everyone had to be there was required. What did you specifically cover in those meetings besides safety? Well, our primary thrust was not just to teach people how to clean carpet, but to develop people. There were a lot of people who went off and started their own business from ours, using ours as a springboard. On the other hand, there were others who stayed with us for 20, 25 years. Employee retention is a problem in any service business that's labor intensive. So managers really ought to be stopping and asking themselves, what am I doing to keep my people motivated and loyal all the time? Sure, they got to learn the technical aspects of carpet upholstery, other types of cleaning, rug cleaning. But what about them as people? We have shepherded people through continuing education, even college degrees in some cases. We've helped them when they got married. We've attended their uh, marriage ceremonies. We've helped them get uh, loans for houses, all sorts of things. And, and that made them extremely loyal. They could tell that we cared first and foremost about them, and then their job was secondary to that. I know that sounds kind of like what I'm supposed to say regarding personnel mm -hmm. management, but it really was the truth. We really got into the lives of our employees, and, and they got into ours, and we really knew how to support each other because of that. It's almost like a family atmosphere. Uh, that you that you create almost uh, well. I'm big on creating company cultures, you know, that mm -hmm. that get the job done. But I remember it was either a conversation you and I were having one, at one point, or maybe it was a session that you were leading that I was attending, where you said something that was pretty powerful to me at the time. You said you don't really don't know the power of standing at the time clock and shaking the employee's hand at the end of the day and saying thank you for a job well done. I know how hard this is. Thank you for doing it. And it, it stuck with me for a long time, but I still remembered it today at my advanced age. Oh, yeah. Birthday celebrations in, in the company and the company meetings, of course. Sometimes they extended a little more than the hour in the morning. And then, then making sure that all of our guys were and ladies were involved in certification. I had the 
wild idea that the people who answered the phones should go out on the trucks for a few days just to find out what we were really doing and the quality of workmanship we were bringing to our customers so that when they answer those phones, they could induce customers into understanding that this was a quality firm of real people who cared about their homes mm-hmm. and businesses and were going to do right by them. And our business grew. It grew and grew. We finally got into chemical equipment manufacturing. We had diversified services. At one time, I had 25 employees. And believe me, that that is a burdensome responsibility if you're in there thinking about all these divisions. Another thing we did was we built walls of responsibility between the divisions of our company. Take cleaning and disaster restoration. Those are similar but very diverse firms. They're divergent, I should say. We we had a staff, and I always had a general manager for my carpet cleaning division, which did carpet, upholstery, area rugs, things like that. I had a staff and a management for my restoration division. And we didn't just pull people from one truck to the other on a daily basis. We made sure that they understood that they had to operate independently. If anything, when the ox was in the proverbial ditch, I was the one who went out and helped on a cleaning crew or did whatever was necessary to get over that influx of business and then keep on going from there. But it's really kind of important to set up your company so that you have a diversified operation. One division is down, the other one is up and vice versa. But also to make sure that people understood that they had a job description to do every day and they were responsible for making that division operate. Mm-hmm. Another really good thing that that made quite a bit of difference here. My early training courses were basically from carpet manufacturers. Ron Tony with Fiber Cleaning Schools of America, founded by Ed York. He was one of my first, he was my first instructor. And then I got together with a guy named Glenn Twist, who was the technical director of Society of Cleaning Technicians, the SCT, which is now the ISCT, International Mm -hmm. Society of Cleaning Restoration Technicians, SCRT. But uh, Glenn Twist had a wealth of knowledge, and he took me under his wing. We would go out, and, and he would teach about the technical aspects of carpet upholstery cleaning, and I would teach about marketing, management, sales. It was a wonderful relationship, and after we did a couple of dozen courses together, he went off into another line of work, and, and I was left as an instructor for FCSA, Fiber mm. Cleaning Schools of America. Lee Pemberton was part of that with Pemberton Associates in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Ron Tony was teaching on the West Coast. Lee was doing teaching in the Northwest. I was teaching and developing additional courses in the Southeast. And we went on as long as we could. And then Lee spun off. Ron Tony went to, let's see, Tom Hill had taken over Ron Tony's position by that time. And Tom went to Hawaii to be in the restoration business, didn't even invite me to come with him, which I would have done in a heartbeat. I think a lot of us would have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and then I was working the Southeast. Finally, when that organization stagnated a little bit, Lee went off and founded Pemberton Associates. I started the seminars as an additional division of my company. And I started doing training and around and about because I had a pretty stable company by that time. So we all evolve. It just takes time and creativity. Sure. 
Well, yeah, I think you see something. I, I know for myself, when I went to my first IICRC class, I thought to myself, I want to do that. I, I enjoyed the, 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 I've always enjoyed the educational piece of it. And mm-hmm. so that to me, and I had been cleaning carpet for several years before I went to my first class, just as you had. And so looking back as you had from, from that aspect of maybe from when you started working in your dad's company to where you, maybe you started your own company, what did you learn that you, that was different from what you thought it was going in in those first couple of years that you were involved in the cleaning trade? Well, one of the primary things that I learned was that you never really learn a subject until you have to teach it. That's a maxim that is true with teachers all over the place. And then beyond that, I started writing quite a bit. As I said, back in Germany, I did after action reports. And then in Vietnam, I did after action reports for several of the higher ups for whom I worked. But I I figured that uh, I could make money writing. And so I would sit down at my computer. Then, gosh, this brings back so many memories as we go through this. But I, I had my first computer was a word processor. And I paid $12,500 for that IBM word processor, just a word processor, didn't do anything else. But boy, did it revolutionize my ability to write. It was just fascinating to watch those little pixels and Mm -hmm. letters appear on the screen. But I started writing training programs for my company initially. And I went off to workshops, conventions, thinking everybody did that. That's what my college professors told me I was supposed to do. And I found out that nobody did that, and they were willing to pay me for it. So I spent many, an entire night just sitting in front of that computer, just typing away and putting down my thoughts about technical procedures for carpet cleaning, for upholstery cleaning, for carpet manufacture, for specialized spotting, all these types of things. And I started publishing these books. Now, that's not something that I would recommend for most people who are in a service business. But for me, it worked out real well for two reasons. Number one, I could make money selling that educational products. And number two, it really solidified what I was teaching my people out there in the field. And as I got more aware of what I was saying and teaching, when I got feedback by listening to my own words that I was putting on paper, I found out that that I became much better at what I did, and I became much better at communicating what I did to my personnel. That's why that just a weekly training program, and the owner of the company doesn't have to do that all the time. You can assign that to staff mm-hmm. members, and they grow and mature in, in their technical abilities and their ability to produce quality product as they start teaching others. So you never really learn a subject until you have to teach it and stick with it because nobody else is doing that. All your competitors are not doing that. They hire people and say, well, if I teach them to do what I know to do, then they'll become my competitors. Not so. When you're teaching people, your expertise is elevated quite a bit. And that's, that's one of the things that I really recommend to people. And have a good customer complaint policy to something goes wrong, get on it immediately. Usually the owner of the company ought to be out there finding out what went wrong, finding out Mm -hmm. how to correct the problem, and then 
institutionalizing it so that it doesn't happen again, making it part of your your company's uh, protocols for uh, cleaning expertise. Well, anyway, I wish I had time to mention all the people who contributed, all the mentors that I have in this industry, because the saying is really true. We all stand taller because we stand upon the shoulders of giants. And that is so true. I could spend mm-hmm. the next couple of hours just listing names, including yours, Dane. I have learned from you at workshops and conventions, too. Well, that, that's nice of you to say that because I, I, as a, when, when we first met, I was on the, in the young buck phase of my life coming into an organization that I felt uh, very strongly about as a volunteer as you did with the IICRC and all of its different versions at one point in time that we've all come through. And it's, it's just interesting to me how it's touched so many people's lives. And now it's, it's widened out even further because I believe there's 29 or 30 different disciplines now that we can train from. And, and Tom Hill told me something a long time ago when I got involved in the organization, as we started spreading our wings a little bit, he said, you know, this is hard for some of the older people here that have been doing this for a while because if we had a question before, we could either ask, you know, myself, Tom Hill, or Jeff Bishop if it's the right answer. And now we're relying on other people that we don't know as well to do that. And we've got this great group of volunteers has always been kind of the ISCRC's format for bringing in people together to get the right answers for things. But going back to your training programs, you didn't have instantaneous access to information like we have today. You had to research this in different ways. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, there's hardly anything out there. Like I said, I, I went to carpet manufacturers. I made dozens of trips to Dalton. I went through carpet manufacturing mills because I found out that the more I knew about the product, the better a cleaner I became. All the different fibers, for example, knowing what to do to preserve them, knowing what would happen if you destroyed them. That was part of my training as well. And there were a lot of great mentors there. Gosh, uh, Mike Berry, in, who was a deputy director of the Indoor Criterion Indoor Environmental Criterion Office, he took me under his wing and he taught me all kinds of things. Bill Doan with uh, DuPont, he's the one who entered me. Insert something here too. Good owners and managers are going to understand that a business doesn't operate until somebody gets out there and sells something. I prided myself in being a technical expert where carpet upholstery rugs were concerned. However, if I didn't sell something, my phone didn't ring, my <laughs> I didn't have business on the books, I couldn't sell anything, I couldn't feed my family. In fact, there were many a day when I walked to the mailbox praying all the way, let there be a check in there so I can at least pay my employees. Never mind me. We've all made that. We've all made that praying mailbox run. (laughs) I tell you what, that was really a, a remarkable revelation to me. And sure enough, for some reason, the check was always there and I deposited it. I paid the employees. My wife and I ate beans and franks for the rest of the weekend. And then we started a new week emphasizing sales and marketing in my firm. And then once I got the business flowing, 
the technical stuff was taking care of itself because I already knew that and I was passing that knowledge on to all my employees as well on a continuing basis. Now, there was a question in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was about the, you know, where you got the information to build your, your initial training programs. Okay, well, some of it, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I have to give credit where the credit is due, was a great one to start marketing concepts. He didn't finish Tony, Tom Hill, Lee Pemberton to finish them up for him. And we came up with some great things. For example, one thing that has made me hundreds and of thousands of dollars was a little program called option selling. We had a little pamphlet and it gave consumers three options. After I went through an inspection cycle, I would then open up this little pamphlet and say, you've got three choices here. Our basic quality cleaning is always the first foundational service. And then I have cleaning with carpet protector. That's the B package. The C package was cleaning with carpet protector, deodorizing, disinfecting, minor repairs, anything else I could come up with. And each one of those was built up. And usually there was about a 10 to 15 cent increase on a square footage basis. In other words, to just throw out an example, if I charge uh, 20 cents square foot for my basic carpet cleaning, 30 cents for the B package, and then 30, uh, uh, 40 cents for the C. It was amazing. 16% of my customers had more money than I could imagine. So they always went for the highest price package. And all I had to do was just lay it out for them and they'd choose it. The vast majority, 72% would go for the B package. It was absolutely mind boggling to me that they would be willing to pay 30 cents a square foot to get their carpet clean. And then, of course, there were a few people who were on a budget, maybe a little younger, just starting off in life, and they always wanted just the the lowest price option. We had a similar program for our commercial accounts where we discounted based on quantity, frequency of cleaning, and the amount of furniture that was cluttering up the uh, carpet. But anyway, we used those, and that just revolutionized my income stream. It just made all the difference in the world. Just having a little program like that where you offer people three choices. And if you go through the grocery store today, you see the same thing. Box of cereal is not just one size. It's Mm -hmm. small, medium, large. People with larger families or a little more income, they always get the large one. The rest of us choose the medium ones. And then the ones who are starting out, the bachelors who aren't on my list of customers anyway. (laughs) My customer base started at age 35 and over. And they had a lot of their basic responsibilities out of the way. They weren't buying diapers anymore. They could have more money to spend on carpet and upholstery cleaning services. So I focused on them. I asked myself in my marketing strategy, what is it that they're making? What size house are they living in? Who are these people? And the more I approached that age and then got older and older, the more I understood that they weren't looking for the cheapest price. They were looking for the best quality because we've all been burned by cheap prices many times Mm -hmm. in the past. So marketing strategy, making sure that setting your your technical operation and getting that going first and then getting your marketing strategy down and coming up with innovative ways to market your service 
And then ultimately, I had to figure out ways to invest the proceeds, put aside a little bit so that when we had influxes or decreases in business, I could weather those peaks and valleys without having to lay off any personnel. I, I pride myself in being able to say that I don't think I have ever laid off anybody. I fired several of them and they deserved it, but but mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever laid off anybody because of lack of business. We always weathered through and expanded our plant and our equipment. I always invested in the best equipment too, because that was a logical investment. If I gave people good equipment to work with, it motivated them to get the maximum out of that equipment and do a great job. And follow-up programs, I mean, we we sent out a thank and critique card immediately after each job was done. And then the next day, my telephone receptionist was on the telephone, not asking if they have any complaints, but do you have any questions or comments about the work we did for you yesterday? And we just let them rave on about our technicians. We take notes. And in the Wednesday morning meeting, we say, John, stand up. This is what Ms. Jones had to say about the work you did for her last week. And boy, if you don't think that put people on cloud nine and had them floating mm-hmm. out of the office, going to their next job, determined to do better this time than they did the last time. It was, it was just amazing to see how everything blossomed in that company. That's good. Well, you mentioned revenue streams earlier. Well, we're going to uh, take a little break here to fulfill our revenue stream while we're working on this. So, We'll be back with Jeff Bishop on the Keep It Clean podcast in about one minute. I can see it now. Your cleaning company markets on social media, but you're not seeing the results you'd hoped for. You often wonder about what to post and if another before and after will finally convert more sales. Hi, I'm Ashley Gregory Hackett. I'm a digital marketing coach and I grew up in the cleaning industry. In fact, you're listening to my dad's podcast right now. I've created a solution for cleaning business marketers that takes the struggle out of social. The content cleanup. 50 done-for-you social media templates that will allow you to set your social in as little as five minutes a week. Along with my proven spotless social system, you'll spend less time on your social media with bigger results. For a limited time, the content cleanup is available at a significant discount. Don't wait. Visit ashleythecoach.com slash content cleanup. And we're back with the Keep It Clean podcast, and we're talking to Jeff Bishop. Jeff, I've got one last question for you, but I'm sure I'll have more questions uh, when you're coming up with your answer here. But at what point, as you were going through this process, did you begin to realize that you were going to be somewhat successful with this? What was kind of the key moment or the key ingredient for you when you started to realize, you know, I might have this in the right track here? Well, I think there there are three keys to my philosophy and those are that not only I, but all of my employees need to be, be developing in three essential areas. They need to be physically fit. So developing your body is extremely important. 
they needed to be mentally alert. So developing your mind constantly through increased training and increased challenges mentally, I think that's important. And then call me archaic, but I also throw in the spiritual side of development. I think everybody needs to be asking questions about why am I here? What's this life all about? How am I influencing my family so that they get good foundational principles on which to base their lives? So all of that to me is is really very, very important. And I I try to practice that. I try to instill that in my employees, and most of them have been very receptive to that. So the, and then the, the second thing is I had to ask myself, what is it that what does success mean? And I looked at all sorts of measures of success that many people put out there, self-aggrandizement, looking out for number one, building up a big bank account, having three Corvettes in your garage and that boat out back and all that kind of stuff, big house, big buildings, all of that sort of stuff. And I, I, I finally came to the conclusion, and here's my definition of success being happy and content with who you are and what you're doing. And that to me summarizes everything. Just being content with who you are and what you're doing. If you can say that when you walk in that office every morning, the rest of it's going to take care of itself. It's just not going to be a problem from there. Mm -hmm. So that's my definition of success. I'm sure others have other definitions. And, and frankly, all the other accoutrements of life, this 40-foot motor coach that I'm sitting in, that Cindy and I travel around the United States in and see all the wonders of this great country we live in, the Corvette that we take out on the weekend dates and pull up to a stoplight by, by a car full of teenagers and watch them look over and do a double take and their eyes get real big. <laughs> I know they're thinking, what's that old man doing driving that Corvette? Well, I should be driving that. Well, you can, but you got to wait. And then I think one other thing that all owner operators of service businesses of any kind don't depend on the government to take care of your retirement. The little bit that I get from Social Security that the the politicians dole out to me the crumbs from their largis. It, it's nothing compared to what you need to live on. My When I started out in this business, I, I remember, I think it's like Rick Love said in one of your podcasts, he said, if I could just get to $1,000 a week, I thought I would really have it made. Well, I thought that thought too. And when I got to $1,000 a week, I realized that after I paid all the bills, there was nothing left for me. So eventually I started learning to market and to sell and to be more proficient in my technical work that I turned out. But uh, don't think that anybody's going to provide for you in your old age. If you're going to have a reasonably comfortable lifestyle after you retire, number one, put aside some now, make plans for your retirement. Cindy and I, my best friend, my wonderful wife sitting over here listening to all that's going on. In fact, I wouldn't be on here if she hadn't done all the IT work for me. But but she and I had a conversation late one evening about what we wanted to do when we retired. 
we got involved in our Corvette club. We wanted to contribute to that group because it's, it's basically a charitable organization, but it, it's, it's also a lot of fun. There's nothing like being on Talladega Raceway, driving a Corvette at 151 miles per hour, only because the pace car won't let you get up into 160, 170 mile hour. There's nothing like getting out before a group of people and dancing the East Coast, West Coast swing, the rumba, the, the cha-cha, all of those kinds of things that we learned in our dance club. There's nothing like the group of people we have down here in this RV resort where there are 500 slots and 1,000 people, and we probably know at least 500 of those people and interact with them on a, on a daily basis. So plan your retirement and then work your, your plan. It will come a lot sooner than you think, and hopefully you won't be like me and wait till you're 70 years old before you stop the training circuit, running around all over the place and getting on airplanes <laughs> and going to different countries. All of that's been great. It's added to my life experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But eventually there comes a time when you sit down in that easy chair, you go out and mow the lawn a couple of times, you drink a beer or two in the evenings and you say, now what? Or as mm -hmm. the famous song goes, is that all there is? Well, I can assure you that Cindy and I are living the dream of retirement, but only because that was part of our planning process way back in the day when, when getting a spot out of carpet or getting out some dog pee was the most important thing we could think of. Mm -hmm. We started early and now we're working that plan and we're just having a ball. And I hope that everyone who ever listens to this will put aside their youth and enthusiasm for just a minute and listen to a few words of wisdom and experience. Everything hasn't been always perfect. We've gone through plenty of stumbling blocks. But if you're willing to commit yourself to the work that's necessary and to the philosophy of being happy and content with what you're doing and who you are, then it all comes out and works out well. I should mention, too, the ICRC has been a large part of that. All the programs that we've developed there back in, in the 70s, when I and Ruth Travis and Lee Zimmerman and Carrie Vermillion, our token Canadian, would get together and somebody would come up with an idea sitting around at a convention. Hey, we ought to have a course on mold remediation. Bishop, don't you have a chapter in one of your books on that? Oh, well, yeah, we do. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. why don't you write it? Well, I've already contributed and taken the the slings and arrows that come with uh, putting yourself out in front of the industry. In fact, when Care Vermillion was about to, when, when Ruth Travis was trying to promote Care Vermillion, the next president of our, of our organization, the ICRC, she said, we need an upholstery cleaning standard because that's Carrie's special, specialty. <laughs> and I said, okay, who's going to write it? And they said, well, you've got a lot of stuff on that, haven't you? And you teach a course on that, don't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, but, you know, I just got through revising the second edition of the water restoration standard, which is a great document. And, and I've, I've heard all the criticism and everything about how I'm sticking my nose in the, air. the octopus of the industry. I think one fellow called me one day and he says, you, for, Carrie's a friend of yours, isn't he? I, yep. Well, 
you want to do him a favor, don't you? Yep. Well, you will write that book. Ruth was a great president, by the way, the first president of the nonprofit ICRC and the only one so far who was a female. But anyway, we, I said, okay, we'll do it on one condition. You come to my place on January the 2nd. We'll sit in my office until we get it done, but I'm not going to devote another year or two of my life another standard and so or, or another training program. And so they did. They showed up, and we worked 16 hours a day for three days. And we basically had that thing put together. Then we put it out for peer review for 75 different people who are actually doing upholstery cleaning so we could get their input. And lo and behold, within six months, the Furniture Manufacturers Association accepted our draft as their standard for their industry. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, no, we're not ready to publish yet. <laughs> and a few months later, the ICRC Certification Council voted on it and it became a reality. Those standards have made all the difference in the world. So if you're working in a given area of our profession and you don't have those standards on your bookshelf and you don't read the darn things get on it get involved start start accumulating those certifications yeah the process for standard writing has changed a bit since we were involved with i'm actually on one of the standard committees now it takes a lot longer because it's consensus based so but again i think we're getting things from different angles dane it doesn't take a lot longer. I wrote a management protocol for revising examinations and for standards. And I mean, we were able to create two standards, the S600, the S800, and we did it in something like nine months. Two industry standards that go on for multiple pages. Nobody is managing the process like they should. And I'm sorry if I sound critical, but I, I've said that to everybody involved in the ICRC. There's a way to make it a fun, challenging process, but it only comes with a properly written management strategy and protocol. But well, like anything else, I, I was going to say, as you grow, as your business gets bigger, resist the temptation to make it bureaucratic, to have a bunch of inviolable rules and regulations. You've got to be the one standing up there saying, yes, we have policies and procedures, but in this case, we're going to change that because this customer needs this, that, or the other. Mm. That's good. I think we're going to end on that note. I appreciate that. I love your philosophy uh, for success in life. I think that's something that uh, are gonna, or our listeners get a lot from, so I, I really appreciate that. So uh, congratulations on your election, the first member of the IICRC Hall of Fame. So congratulations for that very well-deserved. And, I was um, surprised. I thought I was long forgotten after I left the board of directors. And, oh, no. And, I, and you need, at some point, you need to step aside gracefully. That applies to a business as well. When you've got good people running your company, sooner or later, the owner, the founder of the company, has to have the good sense to say, it's time for me to step aside and let the next generation mm-hmm. take over. We're in our third generation, and and the the two people who are the principals in our company in Albany, Georgia, which my father started, they both have uh, degrees in mechanical engineering. As a matter of fact, masters in mechanical engineering from mm-hmm. the from Georgia Tech, and they're doing things with our company that my sister and I never dreamed would be possible never in a lifetime 
Yeah, but so, you, were, you were wise enough to step aside at the right time then. Let it go. <laughs> so good for you. And I'm glad you're enjoying your retirement. So I, I, I appreciate yeah, it. Measure. I, for one, never thought you'd retire. I, I always thought you'd always be there. So uh, I haven't yeah. seen you for the last couple of years. And I wonder where Jeff's at. But it's good to yes. see that you're still out there enjoying life and having fun. And my best to Cindy so that you guys are having some fun with that. So enjoy that. And thanks for being on today. I know that some of the new cleaners and listeners that listen to this are going to be inspired by this. So thank you for your wise words. And we will look forward to seeing you down the road. Well, I hope so. And Dane, you may be the only one who is capturing things that are in the industry's history. I don't know of anybody else who's doing this. So congratulations on your podcast and what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Until next time. Well, Jeff Bishop, ladies and gentlemen, another edition of the Keep Clean podcast is complete. I hope you find our topics and guests refreshing and inspiring. And I also hope you will like, subscribe, and review so you won't miss a single episode. I'm your host, Dane Gregory, wishing you well in your cleaning and restoration endeavors. As always, thanks for listening, and remember to keep it clean.